Welcome to episode three of Wholesome Chats. This uh, podcast is a passion project of mine. Uh, I've been aiming to increase the frequency with which episodes are released, uh, but I've been really particular with the quality of the recordings and the order of the guests that I have. As always, the aim is to bring along guests that have taught me something important, not to talk necessarily about the things which they've taught me, but to explore how they think and discuss pertinent subjects. In this episode, we will explore leadership, imposter syndrome, diversity, generational changes, COVID-19, and self-care. We've quite the agenda, so buckle up. I'm lucky today to share the podcast with one of the women I admire most and have learned a great deal from. Shilpa is the director of a local branch of Samaritans. Samaritans has thousands of volunteers and supports millions in the UK that need it 24 hours a day, every day of the week. While directing an organisation of volunteers, she is also a CEO in her professional life and the list of amazing things she invests her time in is too long for me to do it justice. As a guest of the podcast, she is here today as a human with an opinion on any subject that we discuss today not in an official function representing the charity or the organisation she works for. Her opinions are her own. Thank you for taking the time to chat with me today, Shilpa. In your own words, could you tell us who you are, your background and what you believe leadership is? So thanks for having me on today, Heldene, and that was a lovely introduction. It was really kind. Um, So I'm Shilpa. Um, I am an East London girl. I've lived in East London for all my life. Um, grown up um, around kind of a family business so family is really important to me Um, I love my life I love my friends I feel like at the moment I'm in a really lucky place and I appreciate that that's quite a privileged place to be Um, but I love my job as you said I'm a CEO of um, Kent LPC which is a local pharmaceutical committee and I really enjoy my volunteer role as the branch director at Walden Forest so you asked me um, you know, what I believe leadership is. And for me, I think leadership is about guiding and influencing a group of individuals to come together for a shared vision or a goal. Um, What I will say is that there's kind of different types of leadership in that sometimes that vision and goal is an organisational vision and goal. And that can be very different to when it's maybe your own business and it's your own vision and goal that you have. So I think leadership is very different and, and you know there's so many different ways it can be described. But essentially, it's about getting together a group of people and leading them through um, a journey to get to where you need to get to. Cool. I think that's a really great explanation. And it's a sign of experience when you can take something complex and simplify it to, to something as simple as group of people shared objective that's great um i know that you wear multiple hats in your life uh, and i like to to start with some of those hats that entail uh, a level of leadership i want to start with um your first ever leadership role could you tell us a bit a bit more about what what that was and and what your experience of it was if i'm really honest i think it was um when i went to nursery and I was kind of the leader within my friendship group. So there were three of us that lived on the same road. Um, 
our parents all had businesses um so um you know one of the the dads would bring us to nursery in the morning and someone else would collect us and I was always the one that was sort of um as we were walking to nursery reminding them like did you bring your bag did you leave your teddy bear at home um I was always sort of I guess a little bit in charge and actually I had a nickname which I really don't like now but it was quite common in those days I was the bossy one um so growing up I guess even within the family you know um I'd be sort of the nickname would be oh she's so bossy and it's really funny because at the time it was like for me um well actually I didn't I didn't see it as a negative I just it was a, a bit of a family joke it was you know um something that was very funny but actually now in the role that I'm in you know it does make me wonder why we tend to call women bossy but men possibly assertive or men leaders don't we we sort of say oh he's great he's look at look at him leading his group of friends he's going to be something important one day but with a girl it was very much like oh she's a bit bossy and maybe need to watch that a little bit um and I'm glad actually that my parents encouraged me to to be myself and not to try and you know change me and 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 mold me into somebody that I wasn't because I think that that's what's really led to to you know me being who I am um but yeah, so although I believe that leadership started really young, my my, my professional first job as a leader um, was as a store manager in a uh, community pharmacy. And it was actually very soon after qualifying. So, so I did three years um, at university for the, my degree, and then you do a year's training under a qualified pharmacy pharmacist, sorry. After that, um, I literally went out and worked in different pharmacies within this organisation for a month and a store manager position came up. So the area manager came to me and said, would you be interested in running the store? Um, and I was absolutely like, yeah, uh, I'd love to do it. Love, love that opportunity. It's what, during my uh, pre-registration training year, whilst I had to learn about medication, how to interact with patients. Um, I was also really interested in the payroll side of the business, the HR side of the business, the retail side of the business. And I was really lucky that my uh, pre-registration tutor was the store manager of a very large um, store. And he trained me on everything, not just the pharmacy side of things, so. Right. I mean, it's, I'm, I'm blown away that you can trace it back to, to nursery. You're, ex you're like your first experience of leadership you know the, uh, my next question was going to be take us through a journey that got you to, to your leadership position but you know if it if it's uh as far back as nursery I, I kind of have a, a different question in my mind um you know knowing that for you it, it felt like something that you you saw the signs of fairly early do you think that leadership is something that is nature it, you know it comes about sort of natural to certain individuals is it something that is nurtured that you that you train and you develop over time or perhaps a mix of both like what's your what's your thinking around what makes someone a leader I think that's a really good question and you know when I explained that I felt that I was a leader at nursery I didn't know that at the time obviously you go to to nursery uh, preschool you don't know what kind of person you are it's other people around you so that's where I guess it became becomes nurture doesn't it that other people around you tell you what that behavior is you know it's um so I think for me, it's a bit around, um, you know, 
at that point I was an only child, I, you know, my sister wasn't born yet. Um, and I was predominantly around adults. And my mum and dad had a, um, a news agent, a retail business. So often, because of childcare, I would just be sitting in the shop. So I feel that maybe it's the influence of all the customers that used to come in, adults. And they all used to talk to me like an adult, even though I was only three, four, you know, developing, learning to speak, etc. Um, so I feel that actually it made me a little bit maybe more mature and older than I was um, because I was surrounded by adults quite a bit. So I think that that's, that's nurture, isn't it? That's where that's come from. And I guess there is a bit around actually... You know, when you look at people that are parenting and you look at the way people raise their children and, and, you know, I think children, maybe there is a bit of nature that there are certain traits that people are born with, but I think it's the nurture that will help either develop them or or, or stun them, I guess, and, and kind of, you know, push it out of them. So I think nat- nurture is really, really important. Um so, but I think for me, it was it was my surroundings um, that kind of always led me into that sort of leadership role. I could see what my dad did in in his own business, what my mum and dad did, and how they they were with people, and how they were with um, you know they didn't used to have many staff to be honest. They 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 pretty much ran the business on their own. Um, but I could see that my dad was leading, you know, going through change um, when when business was changing, when things were changing, and just kind of just taking the ball by the horns and getting on with it and I think that's that for me was nature because nurture because that for me was taught wasn't it it was something that I was taught by my family right and l- looking at that sort of the the nurture side of it and um, then looking into it in practice in a professional context what what would you say uh, you struggled with most when you first you know took on that leadership position in a in a professional context so I think for me, it goes back to, I think you develop into being the person that you are. And you know, your family accept that because your family have grown up with you, they've been part of that journey. And throughout life, you make friends along the way and your friends also accept you because you choose your friends, don't you? You choose the people that you hang out with, the people that you have the most in common with, that know your behaviour traits. And I think the most challenging thing in the workplace is that you don't choose your colleagues. And as a leader, I was asked if I wanted to be a store manager in this store. I absolutely jumped up at the opportunity. But there was already a team of people working in that in that branch. And I wasn't, I didn't choose them. I didn't appoint them to those positions. And I think that the, the hardest thing that I've learned throughout leadership is around, you know, you can't actually always be the person that you intrinsically are. You need to adapt your leadership style. And and actually, you need to wear about six different hats at work if you've got six people working for you, because every one of those needs a different interaction with you when you're trying to get everyone to the same result. So you've all got the same end goal. And for you, it's really clear because you kind of go, right, this is what I need to do, A, B, C, and D, and E to get there. And you share that with person A, and they're like, yeah, brilliant, I'm on board with that, A, B, C, D, E. But then you know, the second person will be like, oh, no, no, but I want to go A, C, D, E, B. And you're like, okay, and you, you have to you have to learn to adapt. Um, and I'll be really honest that I'm not saying I've always got that right, but I've learned that along my journey. Wow. So, I mean, a, a change in general is, is something that every human being really struggles with. And psychologically, it takes a great deal of uh, mental gymnastics to, to accept that, something that was no longer is 
and the truth that made sense before no longer makes sense and you kind of have to take in new information adjust and, and move along and make better decisions so everyone struggles with that what, what was your experience of kind of first realizing that you know the one leadership style won't work for everyone and you have to to, to adapt to different people how, how did you overcome that as a challenge did you have any strategies or you know was there any sort of self-reflection what was your process like I think first of all it was being self-aware of body language and um again I'm not saying that I always got it right but actually if you know someone would often in my first you know role someone would come to me and tell me that another person was unhappy and that's where I'd kind of look back and think I don't get why they were unhappy but then in my head I'd reflect on the conversation and I wouldn't just reflect on the spoken word but I'd reflect on well how did their body language look and then I could see that maybe they had their arms folded a little bit which you know maybe they were a bit defensive to the change I'd look and think around how long that person had potentially been with the organization and and you know what their role was before I became the manager of, of that particular branch and so it was definitely a lot of reflection on a conversation and actually you know for me to be able to own up to yeah do you know what I did get that wrong i probably should have done that differently and and owning up to that but with the individual owning up going up to them and just saying do you know what I'm really sorry like I you know totally um maybe didn't handle that conversation in the right way can we start again and actually that's that's what would then win that person over because they they they'd um appreciate that someone of that level was was apologizing and was was admitting that they were wrong and wanted to do something differently so how could we start again and actually that really did work but from that I learned that you do have to reflect but what I think is difficult is that things are changing so much very quickly all the time and I I'm really good with change I I kind of you know someone will come to me and go right this has got to change and I'll be like right okay I'm almost a problem solver fixer going right how are we going to do that this is what we're going to do and I've got it in my head and I still have to stop every time I'm going through it with someone else and kind of go right how am I going to get this into their head how am I going to get them to be on board with this and I'm not going to lie um you know 20 work 20 years in leadership roles it's still really hard to stop myself from wanting to rush ahead and, and get that done I have to really slow myself down and always work at the pace of the person that that I'm I guess that that needs to change um and that's really difficult for me to do because I am the kind of person that just you know wants to get things done really quickly right fascinating it's um it's sort of more related to what we were speaking about earlier in terms of um you know early 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 signs of specific traits when you're young and whether that gets nurtured or or not and you know even even if it even if there is a layer of nature the nurture may either build it or make it go away right and um, personally I I see a lot of young people who clearly demonstrate leadership traits. I wouldn't necessarily describe but they they wouldn't necessarily describe or see themselves as leaders in, in my experience so far I often find that more often than not it's young women who struggle to to see the natural leadership traits in themselves and I've uh, I've, exp I've experienced imposter syndrome at multiple points in in my career and continue to do so every now and then uh, it's something I want to to learn more about and understand whether others experience it and whether uh, where it may p potentially originate from so 
to kind of touch on the subject of imposter syndrome, have you have you ever experienced imposter syndrome or or feeling that you may be caught out as a as not being the best for a role that you were given? Yes, I have. Um, I have experienced imposter syndrome so many times, and almost every day, I will think, "Can I do this? Am I doing it right?" And I think I think you're right. I think women tend to um, experience imposter syndrome more than men. And I think that goes back to what I spoke about earlier, how women are termed as bossy, but men are termed as leaders or women um, are termed as as a bitch and men are assertive, um, especially in the workplace. I, I think that that still happens, unfortunately. And I think that that is what, or, or that is the reason, sorry, that women um, potentially experience imposter syndrome. Um, I think for me personally, I um, I knew that I wanted to go to university when I was doing my A-levels and I was all ready to kind of go off to university at the same time as my friends, but I didn't actually get the grades in my A-levels. Um, so for me, it was my first big failure and I had to then resit my A-levels. So whilst all my friends were going off to university, I resat a year at, at sixth form. Um, and for me, it was like that that. For, for, well, since then, I think there's always been a fear in me of failing again. So I will work extra hard. I will always doubt myself. And I think that's what imposter syndrome is all about. I will say that that year was absolutely the best thing because I, if I hadn't gone to uh, university the year that I had, I wouldn't have met the amazing friends I've met. I wouldn't, I think I wouldn't be on the journey that I'm on now because I would have done everything a year before and met different people. Um, you know, and I love, I love the friends that I've met through university, my work life, etc. And I know that's because I started, um, uni the year later. Um, I think the other thing is as well is often a lot of the time when I've been offered a uh, promotion or uh, um, a manager has suggested to me that I go for um, maybe one of the bigger branches, you know, oh, you should you should go for that role. It's come up. The manager's left. You should go for it. Often when I then get the job, not all the time, but sometimes people have said to me, oh, you know, there's lots of people that didn't want you to have this job, but I you know, I really, I put my neck out for you, put my neck out for you. So then you're always constantly trying to live up to this, oh my God, I'm not good enough because people didn't want me. And if I didn't have this great leader who believed in me, I wouldn't have the job that I've got. And I don't want to let them down. I don't want to let anyone down. And then you're just constantly second guessing everything you do, I think. And I don't think it's done, it's absolutely not done purposely. It's almost that person going, I believe in you. I really know that you can do this and I, I want you to succeed and I believe in you and I'm here to support you. But maybe we all need to think about the terms we use when we say things like that because the impact it has on that individual, it, it's almost heard in a different way to, to, to how it was intended. I have so many questions. But I mean, I'm really grateful that you're sharing all these things with me. Um, you don't have to, but the fact that you are, I feel very, very lucky. Um, I had a few questions. So the first one, it kind of mixes a, a few of the things that you've already mentioned. It's not really in the list of questions that I wanted to ask, but it's it's something that I it's come to mind. I think it's, it's an important one. You You touched on, you know, having to kind of, slow down sometimes when when your 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 leadership style may be going a bit too fast for a specific individual that in your mind may need to to 
change or or may need to adapt or evolve or grow whatever it is um and similarly speaking on the subject of you know sometimes starting out a role and someone saying that you know i've put my neck out which in my opinion you you kind of feel like you're off on sort of the back foot like you have to prove something before uh, you've even had the chance to kind of you know settle in the role and, and realize what yeah. what your style is yeah it's has there ever been an instance in which the flip side of you know having to slow down where you've experienced yourself being pushed by people in your team that you're leading and, and finding that there are layers of learning that you can get from the people that that you lead you know this is also on the subject of imposter syndrome do you ever feel sometimes that there are people that you work with that do certain things better than you and like what if if that's happened what's the what's the effect that has on you if any yeah i think um i think if we were to be really honest with ourselves there are things that i would be good at but there's definitely things within the team that other people are better at or good at and I think it's really difficult when you suffer from imposter syndrome to almost kind of listen to someone else's idea because deep down you know that it's better than yours. Deep down you know it's probably the right way to go. But there is a little bit there that kind of goes, but that means I'm not good enough because I didn't come up with that idea. And I think it's it, it's it's with time and experience that you learn to um, listen to other people and you really stop and reflect before you simply say no to that idea and actually if I'm honest so in the workplace it's, it's quite different because in the workplace you tend to work for someone else and whilst you may want to slow down and have to slow down so that you can take your team on the journey with you the difficulty you then have is that you've probably got someone at a higher level than you pushing you to deliver something quicker so it's a real fine balance between how much can I slow this down before somebody's going to say, you still haven't done this, why haven't you done this? And then, and you're that middle person, aren't you? You're trying to keep your, your bosses happy and you're trying to keep your team happy. I think what's been really good for me is to be the branch director at, at um, the Samaritans. And for me, working with volunteers is very different because they are not paid to be there. They are volunteers. And again, you've got the organisation, um, you know, pushing down changes that they want to happen at branch level. Um, and you've got um, a leadership team that, that you've picked. It's You know, that's that's one of the good things with, with the voluntary role. You tend to pick your leadership team. But again, everyone in that leadership is very different. And while someone might be going, be a real cheerleader going, sure, but that's a brilliant idea. You'll have someone saying, actually, I'm not sure that that's going to work. And it's how do you almost bring everybody together Um and how do you, how do you, I suppose, open yourself up to, well, actually, yes, let's try it that way. And I think I've become really good at doing that. I'm not, I'm not, you know, maybe early on in my career, I definitely, you know, I'll be really honest, I, I wasn't very good at doing that. But over time, I've definitely come become better because I have worked with some amazing people who have been in my team um, and, you know, listening to them and taking some of their ideas is brilliant because actually they're going to lead that project better they're going to get their their colleagues on board and you're going to get the result that you want but you're actually going to get it with a lot less work from yourself but you know someone else driving that for you and what I've actually seen in the workplace as well I've seen so many of those 
um, you know, they used to be my team leaders and I've seen so many of them um, actually still working in branches as store managers now. So there's a big pride um, piece there around actually, you know, I helped them through their journey to get there. Um, but they were people that worked with me um, and in the voluntary role it's very different because actually a volunteer can go, do you know what, I'm not, I don't want to do this anymore, I'm going to walk away. So you've definitely got to slow down. You've got to appreciate that people are volunteering in their own time as well. So in the workplace, you send an email Monday morning. I think now, unfortunately, you expect to reply by Monday afternoon. Otherwise, you you say to yourself, what's that person doing? It's not on. I don't think that's right, but that is the, the habit we've all got into. In a voluntary role, you can send a, an email on, on you know, Saturday evening and you might not get a response till the following Sunday, um, but you've got to accept that because that person is, you know, doing that outside of their regular life. Um, so, yeah, I think I think the two roles are quite different. And I think going back to your question, I think um, it's taken time and experience for me to be able to open up and kind of, you know, I guess, support other people with their opinions and ideas and, 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 and take them into account with everything that I do. Fascinating. So if, if um, let's say someone that reports into you or a friend that started a new leadership role and they come to you and they say, Shopa, you know, I know you have loads of experience. Recently, I've been feeling like an imposter and I'm feeling like I'm doing so much that people are going to find out is not good enough and I'm going to be caught and, I'm, you know, I'm really anxious. But similarly, I want to make sure that while trying to prove myself, I'm uh, I'm not getting in the way of, of allowing my colleagues to shine and I'm you know making sure that I'm considering good ideas I'm not too focused on my own anxiety uh, to, that I, I start to get in the way of other people's success what, what would be what would be your advice to that friend what would you say to help them uh, start to overcome some some of those challenges there's two things there I think there's well, one of the things I would advise, and this is something that I've, I'm really lucky that I've, I've got a group of people around me who I can go to and, and kind of, you know, say to them, this is how I'm feeling. Um, I call them cheerleaders. So I've got a group of people that are my cheerleaders and I know that, um, I can go to them and they will, um, they'll be honest. They'll tell me if I haven't done something right, but actually the majority of the time they tell me, how amazing I am and there is nothing better than that feeling um but you've got to believe them so someone can tell you that but you can still you know kind of go oh but they're just saying that because they're my friend or they're just saying that because my sister or they're just saying that because you know they used to work for them before etc um so it's really important um I would say to any current leader or new leader got to have a group of cheerleaders around you and those cheerleaders should be people that you admire the the perhaps have mentored you but but that you have always felt that have done that have done a good job in in either their career or or whatever they do in their life so I think that's really important I think that um you should never take credit for anything that you haven't done and and that's something um you know that's really important to me so um in the organization I work for at the moment I work with somebody who is brilliant and I'll sometimes say can we do this and she'll come back to me and go oh would you mind if I did it this way because it'll be easier and it'll get and I'm like oh my god that's brilliant and then if if the team say oh that was really really good I'll be really clear to say oh that wasn't me that person did it and I think that goes a long way 
for the team. It's so important to not take credit for anything you haven't done. Um, however, you can take credit for that's the team you lead and it's you that have inspired them to be able to uh, to make those um, decisions or to have the confidence to come to you to say, can I do things this way rather than um, not being able to come to you. So I think that's really important as well for a new leader to, you know, if someone is shining in the team, to know that they're shining because of them as well. Um, so yes, they're shining, they're great. And, you know, it's really important to acknowledge that, but they're doing that because they're working under a good leader. And I think that's really important as well. And you almost forget that. You almost think, oh my God, that person's brilliant and I'm not so good, but they're brilliant because you're good. Um, so I think that's really important. But I think, I, I, you know, I couldn't say enough about having a group of cheerleaders around you. Um, and I would also say, try not to compare yourself to others because I think we're all guilty of that and I think social media has a huge part to play in that um you know uh, LinkedIn in particular from a professional point of view I follow or, or um, you know have lots of connections on LinkedIn and sometimes I look at it and think everyone is doing such amazing things and why am I not and um then I talk to those people and they're like, well, you know, we've actually got a social media team that runs our social media. So I didn't post that on LinkedIn. They posted it. So a bit of it is like, you know, um, I'll do stuff that I won't post on LinkedIn, not on purpose, but I don't get time because I'm so involved in the project. I don't post it. And then when you've moved on to the next thing, I always think, oh, there's no point posting that. That's so last week. Um, but I think that's a big thing as well that you need to really be aware of is comparison to others. Um, you know, there are amazing people out there and everyone is amazing in their own way. But actually, you know, maybe write down on a piece of paper the things you're good at and and read it and keep reading it and keep reading it until you have that memorised. That's such a great answer. That's an amazing answer. Like, I can't stop smiling. That's that's such a good answer. Oh. Um, earlier, we, we touched a little bit on, say, the differences between um, a, a, a young woman or a, a young girl showing demonstrating a certain type of behavior like let's say you know leadership natural leadership traits and the response to that she may get versus say a boy or, or a man um you know one being uh, bossy the other one potentially being all assertive and one sort of being um, uh, discouraging the other one being fairly encouraging and you and i have spoken about diversity and uh, the, the massive opportunity there is for for there to be more representation in the leadership positions pretty much everywhere and you know diversity here not necessarily just meaning uh, gender but all you know all other types of diversity and on the subject of uh, diversity equity and, and inclusion what, what are some of the steps that you take uh, to make sure that you're being uh, an inclusive as, as inclusive as you can as a leader yeah, I think um, you're absolutely right. Diversity isn't just around gender, um, it's around race. And actually something I've learned a lot recently um, with the voluntary organisation um, is around class as well. So um, if we look at the volunteers that tend to be able to volunteer, it's people that are, um, you know, maybe that have been to university um, and above. And I think there's a big bit around as a, as a voluntary organisation, us looking at why don't people who haven't been to university necessarily volunteer with us. And I think it's um, partly a bit of a class thing that we don't often take into consideration that, um, you know, when we think about um, what we're looking for in volunteers, you know, we're looking for people who 
who have, have lived experiences often to volunteer with us because that's always really useful. But people with those lived experiences maybe don't have the capacity to do so because they've got a couple of jobs, they don't have the time or, you know, um, that there's there's various reasons they haven't got that. Um, as I said, those cheerleaders behind them, encouraging them to, to go and volunteer. Um, so I think for me, that's something I've become more aware of recently, that the, the gender and the race I've been aware of, you know, I guess throughout school college um and I think again I've been I've I keep using the word lucky and actually sometimes I don't know if it is luck or if it's you know you create the luck um but but I've been very lucky to grow up in a in a really diverse part of East London and um I've never really felt that that being Indian has um, been detrimental to any of the positions I've got I think I've been really successful um but I know it hasn't always been that way for others and for people I know and for people that I work with, people I volunteer with. Um, so for me, there's there's a few things. There's around the people that I work with. I think it's really important to, to understand people. And I think that it's around understanding people's cultures and their religions and, you know, getting to know them as a whole person and really keeping an open mind and trying not to judge anyone. I think community pharmacy, I always say this to, to any um, people I'm talking to, community pharmacy is exactly that word. It's a community. And what you'll normally find is that if there is a, um, a certain community that live in an area, so for example, I worked in Stamford Hill, which is a Orthodox Jewish community, then a lot of my staff were Jewish because they were from that community. Um, and I, I, I didn't know many Jewish people before I started working there. Um, I, I'll be honest, I didn't know anything about Orthodox Jewish people. But actually, I now call myself an honorary Jewish person because I know so much about the Jewish culture, the Jewish religion. I've met a lot of Jewish people since. But it was, it was actually asking my staff questions around, oh, you know... For example, Saturday is a really quiet day because it's the Sabbath, um, and so most things are closed, um, and that's really unusual in retail. Normally, Saturday is the busiest day. But it was talking to my team, talking to my staff, who would explain to me all the different um, religious festivals, um, all the different cultural um, things that were happening, um, and me understanding a bit more about that. So I think it's around asking questions if you don't know, and that will really help. And then when you understand why people are the way they are, or, or some of their um, cultural beliefs, etc. I think I think that is the first step to ensure that you're being inclusive. And then what you can do with that is kind of go right. Okay, well, I'm looking for this type of person in my team, and you may then be able to link that with kind of a group of people and say, well, if I got someone from that culture within my team, I'd probably be able to to hit that. Okay. That's really important. And more more sort of. Practically, what, what do you feel are, are some of the greatest challenges for a, a more diverse workforce today? And, and that's not just necessarily, say, in um, in sectors or, or workplaces that you've directly been involved in, but potentially also more broadly in society. What, what are your thoughts on, on some of those challenges? I think there's, there is such fear. There is fear. People are scared of saying or doing something that might upset others instead of being honest and asking open questions and I think that that is the biggest challenge because we've gone from a place of where we just didn't talk about it to we're talking about it so much that if for example you're employing or you're, you're dealing with a customer type and you don't mention it it feels like you're not doing the right thing 
Um, so it almost feels like people are over-egging diversity um, and inclusion and equality. And how do we get a happy medium? How do we get it that it's just a normal and it's not something that we have to talk lots about and it's not something that we never talk about? How do we get it that it's just something we don't have to talk about because it's not an issue? And I think that's something we all need to work towards. I think we need to get our heads together, um, and that's big organisations, voluntary organisations, just people in general. Um, and I think we need to get over that fear. But I think whilst we're going through that journey, we just need to be really open and honest with people and explain that it's because we don't know. Brilliant. <laughs> Such great answers. With... Um, with with, uh, with some of these challenges, let, let's say even the starting with the fear and um yeah let's start with the fear what what do you believe can can be how much of that fear do you believe can be overcome with passing of, of generations and what are some of the broader challenges that maybe so far we've already overcome with the passing of generations in your in your opinion i think that one of the things i've noticed if i look at my parents generation i look at myself you know, my sister's got twins and I look at the, the, the way that they're being brought up. I think that we are more aware. And I, I think that, that we have an opportunity to be more aware. Um, you know, this will make you laugh, Helena, but growing up, um, we only had three TV channels. <laughs> and now I'm sure there's probably like around 300 TV channels. Um, you know, you didn't have social media. You mm. didn't have internet access. We used to have to actually look up information in an encyclopedia which was probably about three years old whereas mm. actually now you just put it into google don't you so i think that the challenges that were there before was it was a bit right actually if i didn't know it it didn't affect me mm. because you didn't see it um and now it's not a challenge but it, it's it's there all around us and almost the, the challenge is now for the people that are getting left behind that aren't willing to change um you know in terms of generationally if they're not willing to change they're not willing to learn they're not willing to understand unfortunately that may affect the generation below them and that will be passed down to the generation um below them however i definitely feel we're, we're living in a world where people are willing to learn they are willing to change they are willing to to understand a lot more about other people and I think that that's a positive again is it something we talk about I like to do things really quickly is it happening fast enough I'm not sure that it is happening fast enough um but I think that my people like myself have a responsibility and I take that responsibility really seriously I you know for me it's around I want to be a good role model for any Asian females in the future that, that, that I can um, pave a pathway for. I want to make sure that I take time to mentor them. I want to give them the confidence to know that they can do what I've done. Um, and, and I want to be that role model for my niece. I want to be that role model for my nephew. I want them to know that they can do anything. Um, and I think, I think it's really important that anyone in a leadership role takes that responsibility and ensures that they are always um, mentoring others and it doesn't have to be formal mentorship it can just be a conversation that you're having that you're that you're being open about you know do you feel that race is an issue for you in the workplace and helping them overcome that if it is or do you think do you, we talked about imposter syndrome do you think imposter syndrome is something that you're worrying about um 
And it can be simple things like, you know, liking their posts on, on LinkedIn. We talked about social media and actually social media is so important in building people's confidence. I think for, for younger people in particular, um, well, I say that actually, I put a post on LinkedIn um, about six months ago and I literally was checking all weekend to see how many likes it had got because it was getting likes. It was getting really exciting. And I was like, <laughs> oh my God, this sprint. And I could almost see what the younger generation um, it's really important those likes are a real endorsement and they shouldn't be they absolutely shouldn't be but let's face it they are mm-hmm. so we then have a responsibility if I see someone who is um, a young Asian female um, doing really well in her career and posting something on LinkedIn you know as long as I agree with what, what's being posted I do like it but you know it takes me two seconds to do mm-hmm. but it's it's you know it's it's um for that person, it's validating that what they're doing is brilliant and great and carry on. Mm-hmm. And what I've recently started doing as well is just making sure I take time to privately message that person, even if I don't know them. And I've actually made so many friends that way, which is which is great. And I become their cheerleader, their supporter. They become mine. Wow. I love this. I, I feel there's a, there's a running theme here of, um, one, finding your cheerleaders, and two, cheerleading others yeah. uh, onto uh, you know, being better and growing themselves. I really like this concept of a cheerleader. I've I've not heard of it before, but it's something I'm definitely taking away with me. Cool. Um, personally, I think that you've uh, you've pulled off an incredible feat in the past year, and uh, one that I believe in 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 some sectors would earn you some kind of medal. Um, that feat being uh, working in the healthcare sector during a, a global pandemic. I know you've been uh, out directly. I know you've you've uh, you've not necessarily been out directly working with their patients but but is it fair to say that you have played a role in supporting the the pharmaceutical sector during uh, COVID-19? Yeah absolutely um, so um, you're absolutely right I don't deal directly with patients but in my um, CEO role I represent 326 community pharmacies across uh, the county of Kent um, and throughout COVID, I've been absolutely supporting them, um, representing them with NHS England, with the CCG, with local um, other healthcare professionals locally, and supporting them through um, every step of the way. I feel like I've I've really been been there with them, um, and you know, actually, we towards the um, uh, the end of. Um, or actually the beginning of of twenty twenty one, we did send out a survey to all our. Um, community pharmacists who we represent and did have some really good feedback that people felt supported and they felt that we were giving them the information they needed etc so yeah absolutely I've really really played a role supporting them and um in in that time of um I think you, you mentioned 300 uh, community pharmacies what what would you say uh, so far anyway has been the the greatest lesson you've taken um, from working in, in healthcare in the past year I think I've always known that, you know, in the UK, we're really lucky that we have the NHS. It's it's absolutely fantastic. Um, but the biggest lesson I've learned is how it's so important that we stay kind to each other and that everyone has the same goal. Everyone wants to help patients. Um, and it's really important that we, within the NHS or the healthcare system in the UK, we we work together to do that. Um, but I also think when you're working in any role um, where you're, I suppose, not directly working with individuals, but absolutely um, trying to develop um, services, schemes that make their life easier, 
it's really important that you you take the time to talk to people and you don't just um, launch into a work call you ask how are you you get to know them and I think as you build those relationships you know um, at first I'm sure most people will say how are you I'm, I'm fine everyone does that but actually as you build those relationships they will tell you oh my god I've had a nightmare week last week and it's really important you take the time especially because we're all working from home at the moment um we're isolated you know it's it's lonely working from home often um and you you don't have that real life interaction you don't have those um coffee machine moments where you'll speak to someone at the coffee machine and they'll tell you that last week their child got sent home from school because they were self-isolating and it meant that they were trying to work while homeschooling and and everything fell apart um so it's really important when you're doing that over teams or zoom or any kind of virtual call or a phone call that you do ask those questions and you get to know people um i'm i'm, I'm quite good at that i'm, I'm quite a friendly open person um and it's really nice that there's some people that i've not actually met in real life over the past year but i do know about their family life they know about my family life and we know you know what's been going on and i think it's 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 nice to be that way um and for them to know that they can pick up the phone to me if they need me well i have two questions one of them has sort of come up as as you've uh, you've been sharing that yeah. the first one is in 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 that time that you know you've you've uh, you've led uh, a, a team of pharmaceutical communities or, or local community pharmacies, you've also been director of a of a charity. How how did you do those both of those things at the same time? For for most people, doing one of those things would be difficult. We did two two of those at the same time. But what 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 got you through it? How how did you manage to pull that off? Um, to be honest, I'm absolutely like really well organized it's it's a trait that I've had again since childhood I'm the organized one I make lists of everything I um I have different um um as you know we talked earlier I've got I've got a couple of phones so that I've got different phones for for work a phone for um Samaritans and a personal phone um just making sure that I check that regularly so from from a a time point of view absolutely it was difficult I think actually you know we were in lockdown so it wasn't like I had any social life if I'm honest in that time so socially I wasn't going out having to fit in um, friends and I love all my friends and I do love fitting them in but I didn't have to worry about that during during um, the height of the pandemic um, I think the hardest thing was around you know in the role that I do, everyone in community pharmacy was really worried because, you know, people didn't know necessarily what was going on, how how serious this, this um, how serious COVID was, what the implications could be. It was quite difficult at the beginning to get PPE. People were trying to keep their staff happy. Um, but we had the same challenges at Samaritans. So with Samaritans, we, we, because the public were more worried, we were definitely getting more phone calls uh, or people wanting to talk to us. So it was really important that we kept running shifts within the branch. Um, and it was making sure that all volunteers who range from from so many different ages in our branch that we were protecting everybody and making sure that those volunteers that were potentially more vulnerable from um, a clinical or age point of view that they weren't having to 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 do shifts or if they were that we were making the premises really safe for them to do so so 
it felt like, if I'm really honest, some days that my brain was going to explode because I was thinking, thinking, thinking. It was going round and round in my head what to do. Um, I, I literally used to make lists. And as soon as I had something tangible that I could send out to, to either work or to, to the Samaritans, I'd, you know, send out an email to try and reassure everybody. Um, and if there was any particular individuals that I was worried about, just making sure I pick up the phone. So it was... Um, as organised as you are, you can never be organised for something as big as COVID to have happened. I don't think anyone can be. So it was it was reorganising constantly. It was every day almost taking stock and go, right, where are we? Have I done this? Have I done that? What do I need to do for tomorrow? So I tend to do that anyway. I have a to-do list every day and, you know, every evening or before I finish work for the next day, etc. I, I kind of revamp my to-do list on what, what what's become a priority, what needs to be done. But... I guess I was just more on it than I normally would have had to have been. Right. Um, I, I I still have so many questions, but the the second question I was going to ask is, um, I'm curious to understand the the differences between how it felt for Shilpa the the human. You've already touched on it a little bit, like, um, and uh, thank you for sharing that with me. In in terms of you know sometimes feeling like her brain was going to explode, and and how it felt for for Shilpa the CEO slash director throughout this this pandemic throughout the past year and were there sort of any pertinent differences between between those two roles or two two plus roles the the human shilpa and the sort of leader director shilpa yeah no so as a person i was the same person i think it was um being human probably or taking aspects of of how i was feeling as a human through covid how i was feeling of having to change my work life to having to work from home and suddenly not go out anymore um and actually pre covid i was the kind of person that i got cabin fever if i stayed at home for longer than a day i always used to have to go out every single day so that that must admit that was my biggest fear at the beginning was how am i going to stay at home i think this was possibly before they even had said you could go out for one hour of exercise um, or I was so busy I was definitely wasn't doing the one hour of exercise and I was um, really worried for myself about how I was going to cope and get myself through that but actually that helped because then when I was talking to people in the volunteer sector or in the workplace I was able to ask how they were dealing with that and how, and how it was for them and actually in the workplace you know, the answers I was getting was, well, actually for us, it's no different. We're still coming to work every day in the pharmacy. Um, in the volunteer role, people were picking up extra shifts so that they could, you, you know, help others, but also get out of the house and maybe meet someone different. Um, but for me, I think the human side of me absolutely helped understand better um, because the same thing was happening to me that was happening to everybody. Um I think the bit that was probably the most difficult, as I said to you, I felt like sometimes I had so much in my head that my brain was going to explode at the end of the day. And I wasn't very good at sharing that with anybody. I would just carry on. My way of dealing with that was around actually tick off something else on the to-do list so it's one less thing for your brain to hurt about tomorrow um which absolutely in hindsight I can realize wasn't healthy, wasn't the best way to be, but that was how I dealt with it. So for me, um, that was a bit that I didn't share at the time with people. Um, yeah, I'm happy to share it now. And I, you know, I could definitely, um, it, it's probably no different to how any of my colleagues um, that, that were working at, at leadership levels within the NHS who were having to be responsible for a, um, a group of people. So when I talked to my counterpart in um, for GPs, or if I talked to some of the hospital pharmacists that I work with, um, you know, they were all feeling absolutely the same way in terms of brain exploding. No. 
no, there was never a time I thought I should stop doing it. There was times when I thought I really do need to have a break today. Mm. Um, and I, looking back in hindsight, I should have had the break. Mm. Um, I definitely should have said, right, I'm going to give myself a couple of hours off and had that break. Mm. And I didn't. Um, and I definitely think that that leads to us not being the best that we can be the next day, to be fair. Like I was often going into the next day being exhausted and, you know, you're definitely not working at 100%. If you're exhausted, you're working at 80%, 90%. And then if you're still exhausted, it goes to 70. Mm. So yes, in hindsight, I can look back and go, right, actually, there's so much I should have done differently. But at no point did I ever think I want to give up. I wouldn't have been able to let people down like mm. that. I wouldn't have wanted to let people down. Um, and what I will say is there was a great sense of satisfaction with everyone that that, that you did have a, an interaction with that would say, thank you so much for what you're doing for us. Or, mm. um, you know, thank you for your help. Or, oh, that's brilliant. Thanks for getting back to me. It, it was just the little things, knowing that, you know, if someone sent me an email at... Um, eight o'clock in the evening and I responded at nine o'clock I knew that would be helpful to them because mm. they wouldn't have sent me an email out of hours had they not needed that information quite urgently and quickly and I know that if I was helping them in turn whatever they were doing was probably going to help my sector this is more in the workplace mm. um so it was really important to me to to, to support I guess the the healthcare field that was going through such a lot, which I know so many so many sectors were, but obviously with with it being um, related to to a medical condition, um, that that you know for me it's like well I, I trained to be a pharmacist that was to help others so mm. you know I was going to do it in the best way that I could, um, and I chose to become a listening volunteer at Samaritans um, when I was offered the position of director. Um, the branch had put their faith in me to ask me to be that director and I chose to accept. So I wasn't going to let anyone down at any stage. Amazing. I'm really impressed by uh, your motivation and uh, just generally how organized you are. I feel like I want you to write a book about just your organization and strategies. And I want to learn as much as I can because if, if it helps you do as much as you do, I think so, so many people can learn from that. My book would be very short, Heldene. It would literally be keep it simple write a list so i've got three pages in a notebook and the notebook i've got is brilliant yeah. um i won't brand name here but basically you just it's just paper and right. you you write on it you know samaritans and your list of what you want to do right um you know um kent lpc my list of what i want to do and i also have a personal list of, right. of what i need to do if i need to you know do something with banking or something like that and then you um you cross it through and i think it's you know for me i haven't switched over i've literally only at the beginning of 2020 really got into using an electronic diary mm. for work before that i used to have like paper diaries but i use a, I use my well, just outlook as my calendar and my diary um and i know there's so many people that use like um all these different apps to organize everything but for me it's that you know um if you wake up in the middle of the night and you feel a bit stressed and you think of something you've got to do, mm. I don't really want to power up a laptop or turn on my phone to put that into my diary to do. Yeah, yeah. But actually with a notebook, you just write it in, in pen, don't you? And, it, and it's, it's something you can then go back to sleep on. Um, and it, I do sometimes think like, you know, it's amazing that people have got all these different tools, but all you need is a list. And every time you've got something, write something on it, a to-do list, however short it is. Um, and... Um, I think a list can be obsessive as well. I've now got a list of books that I want to 
read yeah. next. I've got a list of TV shows that I want to watch because that was my one thing that I was really struggling with during lockdown. Um, everyone else was watching all these Netflix um, shows, right? Yeah. And I was feeling so left out. And then there was at the back of my mind, I was like, how am I also going to catch up on all these life things that everyone's doing? What am I going to talk to people about when we're allowed out again? Um, so that was always at the back of my mind. I haven't got time. I haven't got time to binge watch a show and everyone else is. Um, so, but yeah, for me, honestly, it is just being, just keeping a list and, mm. um, and also I guess, you know, what things like my emails, I do have clear inboxes and, and I file everything. Yeah, yeah. Um, so yeah, there is a, a filing system as well. That's really important. I hear you. I, I think lists are very, very underestimated. Yeah. I, if it's like simple things for me, like, uh, shopping, if I make a list, a clear list before I go out. Yeah. Not only is the shopping trip far more fulfilling and structured, but the meal that I cook yeah. is also far more tasty because I've really thought about what I'm going to do and I've planned it really clearly and I've broken it down. So the doing it is sort of like just um, it's almost like a an orchestra with a, a a music sheet. You you just you just follow the the instructions and you 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 know the rest is kind of you just going with the flow. But everything is already in place yeah. for you to know what to do next. Yeah. I find that I think it makes a huge difference. Absolutely, and I'm not I'm not brilliant. Like I will make a list of shopping, mm. but actually, some people I know are really good. They'll actually plan their meals for the following week. Yeah, I'm not yeah. that good. I'll plan like if I want a fancy meal or something nice that I want to make to make sure I've got the ingredients for that. But otherwise, I'll just buy a few essentials and kind of try and figure out something. Mm -hmm. But actually, ultimately, if you if you want to be really organised. And also it's saving money as well. If you really want to be organized, save money and reduce wastage of food, mm. the best thing you can do is kind of go, right, what do I want to make next week? And mm -hmm. you, you buy the ingredients for what you want to make. And you know that if you're going to have, if you're buying like lettuce and you're going to have lots left over, then you make sure that later on in the week you have a salad so that you can use it up. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, I'd love to get to that stage, but um, that's, um, I'm not quite there yet. Yeah, I, you and I both. I, I still think I could be a lot better with uh, simple things like meal planning and, and not, at times not wasting food uh, because sometimes I'll cook something and I'll, I'll, I'll eat like, I don't know, 70% of it, but 30% of it can go to waste. And that, that breaks my heart. I, I hate to waste food, for example. Yeah. I think just on that note, there yeah. are some apps that you can um, use that you can actually let someone know that you've got some food um, right. and so people can pick it up as well. So um, I, yeah, so just have a look at that and we can talk about it afterwards, but I definitely think, um, you know, Again, during lockdown, I wasted a lot less food because um, often you do your shopping, won't you? And then and then your friends will be like, do you want to go out for food? So yeah. you'd go out for a meal with them. Yeah. Um, and then that food would maybe go out of date or yeah. not yeah. be suitable to use. Um, so I think that that's something I've definitely want to keep up, um, you know, once my social life gets back to how it was before, mm -hmm. I definitely want to keep up, you know, um, making sure that I cook more for myself um, and making sure that... Um, my, my food wastage is, is, is dramatically decreased and I want to make sure I keep that up. Agree, agree. You and I are on the same page. Um, I wanted to, to touch on uh, self-care a, a little bit. We've kind of spoken about it briefly, but wearing as, uh, as many hats as you do and uh, making the world a better place as, as you currently do, I imagine, generally speaking, taking care of yourself is something you have to be fairly deliberate about if you're to, to make sure it happens and you've already touched on some of those things like uh, taking a break when you need to or um, you know just being realistic and and um, and actually accepting that you need you need to rest what are some of the routines that you have in place to sort of regularly help you support your emotional and physical well-being 
So I'm going to be really honest with you. I'm not very good at, at that. I'm I'm not good at self-care, um, but I am constantly working hard to put this right. So um, during um, the height of the pandemic, work was really busy. And obviously, as we said, Samaritans was really busy. I was often, you know, not going out for a whole day for any fresh air. And then I was just grabbing uh, a quick bite to eat in the evening and then getting back to to work of some sort and as I said earlier as well it felt like sometimes my brain was exploding and I know that that was really unhealthy um, and I know that well in hindsight that's definitely something I should have been um, doing something about I was aware of it but I wasn't doing anything about it so I'm working hard now to put Put that right and to make sure that I am including um, self-care into um, into my life basically and I think it goes back to if you are the kind of person who who makes lists then it, it sounds silly but put it on your list mm. you know put it on your list to say I'm going to do this for an hour so you know that you've got to take an hour out of your day to do it mm-hmm. um, I think something I've done recently is um, I've signed up to the uh, Samarathon. Um, mm. I'm not a runner, I'm not a jogger, but I'm, I'm doing a walk, um, well, I'm doing uh, four Samarathon walks, so about 105 miles across the month of July. Um, and part of what I'm doing as well is um, on my Just Giving page, I'm blogging each walk every day. So just, nice. just a, a little paragraph yeah, of yeah. where I went, what mm-hmm. I did, maybe a picture. Um, actually, my hobby um, is photography. I love photography, so just making sure that when I go for a walk I am looking for for things to take nice pictures of which will again I guess excite me about the walk or make me interested in the walk um and it's a habit I'm trying to get into so if I go out for a walk every day for the month of July I'm hoping that this is something I'll be able to carry on um and um the bit I'm not so good with though I'm using the walk to catch up with um some work calls sometimes so sometimes I'm like actually let's have a work call or a volunteer call. I think we spoke the other day, I was actually, um, you know, on my walk when we were speaking. Um, And what I'd love to get to is a stage where I'm just walking mindlessly or mindfully as Mm, as it is, mm. and actually just taking in what's going on around me. But actually, if I'm not on the phone talking to someone, then I'm listening to a podcast because I no longer commute to work. So my commute used to be an hour each way. It was a great time to listen to music or to podcasts. And I'm not doing that anymore. So I feel like, oh, when would I find time to do that? So if I'm walking, I'll do that. Um, But then a part of me is like, well, that is my way of relaxing and, Mm. and, and doing something different. So I think sometimes you've got to find what works for you. Okay, so your self-care is going to be different to my self-care. I know you're really into sports. You love running. That'll be your self-care. That, for me, personally, sounds horrendous. And <laughs> not something I'd want to do. Um, and for me, walking is my self-care. Or maybe it is catching up with a friend. I had a lovely catch-up with a friend the other night. And it was brilliant. It was for a couple of hours on the phone. And that was the best self-care ever. Because we both offloaded to each mm. other. We both giggled. We laughed. It, it was brilliant. Um so I think it's around finding what works for you. Mm-hmm. Um, it's about not feeling guilty um, about taking that time out for you. It's really important that you do do to take that time out because it will, it will, um, it will make you better. It will make you more productive. It will make you um, better at supporting friends, family, whatever you need to do. Just by having that time out, um, it's really important. And again, I think we have a responsibility to show others especially when you're in leadership roles 
that it's okay to take a break. Mm. And I think about, you know, during the height of the pandemic, I was really clear to, to, you know, anyone working for me, I don't want you to work at all this weekend. You know, I want you to switch off at, at four o'clock when you finish. Mm. Um, or, you know, you did an hour extra there, make sure you take the time back. I didn't do that for myself. And I do think I need to start leading by example a lot more. Right. You, a few things that you touched on, I wanted to go back to. So leading by example, uh, you also mentioned that it's certainly something you want, you want to, to get better at. What would you say um, are some of the things that, that you've learned in in your time and not necessarily doing that as well as you'd like to, 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 to have done? And of those things you've learned, is there any advice that you'd give to someone to say finding themselves in a, in a leadership role on a, on the subject of self-care based on your experience so far in, in balancing those two things? Yeah, I think um, I think for anyone starting new, it's around you're starting a new leadership role, but that doesn't mean that you have to leave your whole your old life behind or you know and and if if like for example we talked about running if running is something you do however busy work is you know that maybe running is your way of um, not only exercising but actually having that thinking time for yourself or having a goal to achieve because you might want to run a certain distance in a certain time it's around um, getting that fresh air it's around sort of seeing the environment that, that that is around you so don't stop doing that if that's something that you do keep doing it because all of that will help um you evolve as a person and 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 take that with you so take your self-care with you onto to your new leadership role if you're not great at that and you know that you can get bogged down um with with work or, or with what you're doing um then as i said earlier you've got to pencil it in you've got to make it part of your to-do list you've got to find something you enjoy make it part of your to-do list and you know if um it doesn't always have to be exercise. It could be, you know, you enjoy reading. So then if you are commuting to work and back, then, um, you know, if you're driving an audiobook, if you're on the train, then make sure you read so that you've got that real break between um, leaving home, getting to work. And then when you finish work, you're not just looking at your emails on your phone on the, on the train on the way home. You're actually reading and taking your mind off. It's about finding what works for you, putting it in your list to make sure that you do it. And actually having, again, it goes back to having a few cheerleaders around you mm. and they'll recognise, they'll recognise when you're tired or when you're a little bit snappier than you normally are mm. and they'll tell you when you need a break and mm-hmm. listen listen to them. When they tell you, listen to them yeah. and do something about it because mm. you're not going to be the best that you can be if you don't look after yourself. A hundred percent. That advice to me feels like it, it applies to you know everyone. Everyone can take something from what you said. Find out what works for you. Yeah. Is there is there anything that you would say that let's say um, a, a woman starting out in a leadership position is there is there any advice that you'd give specifically to a woman that's perhaps slightly different to advice you'd give to to anyone else? I think um, I think we talk about self care around maybe taking time for yourself. But that isn't what self-care always needs to be. It can be around nurturing your confidence. So if your confidence levels have dropped, it's around, you know, picking those confidence levels back up. And, and that's also self-care. Or it's around, you know, if you get some criticism, it's around having that support network around you. So you can really work out, is it true criticism? Is it something that you need to work on to become better at? Is it someone just being 
a little bit derogatory because potentially you're a woman and they don't like the way you said something or they don't feel that it was appropriate for you to say something the way you said it. Um, and, and those true, we go back to, I keep going on about cheerleaders, but those true cheerleaders will tell you, to, to be fair, like, you're my friend and I think you're amazing, but sometimes, yes, you can be a little bit sharp or you can um, maybe come across something in the wrong way or you think so fast that you that you don't take everyone on the journey with you. And it's almost like it doesn't hurt as much when it comes from that friend because you mm. know that they are constantly telling you how amazing you are so the time that they tell you that sometimes you can be a bit like that. It's it, Or whilst I say it might not hurt, it might hurt, but you, you, you then can reflect on it and kind of go, yeah, actually, mm. do you know what? They're right. So I think... For women in particular, it's really important that you you have that group of people around you supporting you mm. um, and that you you look at self-care holistically. Um, you don't just look at self-care as, like I said, getting fresh air, going for some exercise. It's actually around, you know, sitting down and having a cup of coffee or a cup of tea, just even if it's for five minutes and just not doing anything for that five minutes apart from just, you know, drinking that tea or coffee and just taking that time out for yourself. Um, and I think uh, women in particular aren't very good at switching off or at mm. um, having compartments in their head, I suppose, for, you know, work, life, home, friends, social, etc. Everything merges into one. Mm. Whereas I think intrinsically men are better at that. Men are very good at... Well, from from what I know, from my experience, men are quite good at leaving work at the door and when they're home, they're home and mm. they don't start work till the next day. Um, so I think it's around recognising that um, and making sure the people around you recognise that so they can support you the best they can. Right. That's good advice. That's good advice. Um, sort of this holistic approach to self-care um, and thinking about all the details and nuances that, that matter to you specifically. Mm. We're, we're nearing the end of our chat today. So I wanted to say thank you for making the time to speak to me and for being as honest as you've been with me today. Um, I know how busy you are. So I, I really appreciate you finding the time to be here. I uh, I wanted to you know ask you the same question that I ask everyone that's uh, been on the podcast. And it's, uh, it's a pretty big question. So take your time to, to think about the answer. And the, the question is, what's the what's the most important lesson that you've learned in your life that is uh, worth sharing with the people listening today? Something unique to you? So I think for me, this is something I've I've obviously always done, but I've only really, really realised it maybe in the past year is that I am such a people pleaser. Mm. Um, and what I would say to, to anybody is that it's okay to say no so I find it quite difficult to say no. I'm a lot better at it now than I was. But if someone asks me to do something, I will I will work really hard to be able to try and fit in doing that for them. But what I then don't do is look at what I've going on what I've got going on elsewhere in life. And it it often means something gives and normally what gives is is that time for me. So mm. the time that I was gonna take for myself is normally what gives. Um so what I would say to people is it's okay to say no and also I guess thinking about myself I, I think I'm a bit of a perfectionist and I think um, I like to do a lot and I like to do it really well but what I'd also say to, to anybody is that it's okay not to be 100% perfect all the time um, it, it, we all make mistakes um, and as long as we own them and learn from them and as long as we always strive to be the best that we can be then that's all that anybody can ever ask of us and actually it's all that we should ever be asking of ourselves we should 
always just try and be kind be the best that we can be um if we're going to do something yes give it our all but don't let it consume every aspect of your life um yeah that's my that's my uh, big lesson one amazing point to to finish the the episode on uh, don't be afraid of saying no it's okay to say no um it's it's a lesson that i think sometimes even when you've learned it you kind of need to relearn it so yeah that's that's incredible thanks for sharing that with us is is there anything else that you wanted to to share with us today shofa um, no, I just wanted to say, um, you know, Heldene, um, I'm a big cheerleader of you. I think that everything that you're doing is really amazing. I love that you you have an interest in in, in um, a personal interest in kind of having a podcast. I love the way that you, you plan what you're going to do and you plan the way, like you said earlier, around the guests. And um, I think what you're doing as a, as a volunteer um, at our organisation, Samaritans, is, is amazing. And, you know, I often talk to you about your work life. Um, so, yeah, I just um, really wanted to say thank you for inviting me on I feel really honored um to be on this podcast and this has been a really good conversation it's brilliant 100 100 we're both cheerleaders of each other because I'm a massive cheerleader of you two so thanks for coming on today Shopa thank you very much for having me all right and that's it bye everyone 